Okay, Boketov, we have the privilege of the Shabbos of reading Parshas Toldos. We are flying our way through Sefer Barishas. As always, we'll give a very quick overview of Toldos and then delve into some of the Psukim together with an analysis by the Mephoshim of the Mikros Kedolos. So Toldos begins on page 124 in the Stone Chumash, where we last left off at the end of last week's Parsha. Avram Avinu, our original patriarch, Avram has passed away. He's left behind his two sons, Yitzchak and Yishmael, maybe more sons, Shemberach is Avram Bakol, but at least two of his sons, Yitzchak and Yishmael, who, as we pointed out last week, reunite uh, in unison to be able to give their, to bury their father. And that takes us to the beginning of this week's parsha. Yitzchak is now married to Rivka, whom Eliezer secured for him as a wife. And um, uh, Rivka at first does not uh, conceive. Um, and uh, Yitzchak davens for her. Vayatar Yitzchak l'Hashem l'Nochach ishto ki akarahi. And Vayatar l'Hashem atar Rivka ishto. The Gemara Tzuka learns from the lashon, the language of Vayatar, which means a pitch like a pitchfork. That Yitzchak's davening was so penetrating, it was so piercing that he was able to turn over like a pitchfork turns a bundle of hay. Says the Gemara Tzuka. Yitzchak's davening turned Hashem's mind around. Which poses a great theological question, not for now. Why are we ever interested in turning Hashem's mind around? Hashem is omnipotent and infinite and perfect and all-knowing. We are finite, limited, and immortal. If there's a uh, debate or a conflict between what we think is best and what Hashem thinks is best, shouldn't we go with what Hashem thinks is best? Why do we try to impose what we think is best over Hashem? That we're trying to change His mind. Isn't the whole exercise of davening an exercise in futility? Why are we doing it? So that's for another time. It's a very important question. Why do we daven? So Yitzchak... I don't know, another time. So Yitzchak uh, davens, and, and Hashem is indeed entreated. By the way, this is one of the, I always reference, the Sha'ar and Betfila, Rav Pinkus' Sefer, which quotes the Alkut Shimoni, the 13 synonyms for prayer. We saw last week, the end of last week, we talked about, Vayetze Yitzchak lasuach basadem. We might get back to it again this week. But lasuach, sicha, one of the verbs used to describe prayer is sicha, like a conversation. Here's another one. Vayetar Yitzchak lashem. Yitzchak, the article translates as entreated. It really means beseeched, he begged, he pleaded, he pleaded with God. It's more than just regular prayer. Prayed repeatedly. Right, so multiple, however you're going to translate it, Yitzchak nudged God. So it's another form of prayer, nudging him. And apparently it was an effective one. Hashem respond. How did Hashem respond? Because Rivka felt twins. She feels the twins. Why do I have to go through this? She went to consult with Hashem or an agent of Hashem. And she's told, now what bothered her, by the way, again, we know the Medrash, that when she walked by a base of Zara, she felt kicking in a house of idolatry. When she walked by a base Medrash, a house of Torah study, she felt kicking. I think I told you last year. Why was Yaakov kicking to get out when you passed the base Medrash? What was Yaakov doing in the womb? He's learning, says the Gemara Nida. He's learning with the angel. Kol Torah Kula, the totality of Torah. Why was he kicking to get out? If he's learning all of Torah, why was he kicking to get out? Rabbi Rabinovicki gave a Chabura, Shabbos of my son Shalom Zachar, of five or six reasons why, why the angel causes the baby to forget all the Torah when he comes out of the womb. Beautiful, five or six different reasons. But the Gemara says we have a tradition, a baby spends the months of gestation studying or, or being ingested, being absorbing all the values of Torah. So why was Yaakov trying to get out? So the Balai Musar say, no matter how great your Rebbe is, Yaakov's learning with the Malach, with the angel of God, no matter how great your Rebbe is, if your Chavrusa is Esav, 
if your study partner, if your environment is Esav, you got to get out of that yeshiva. <laughs> so you see from here that the environment, the friends, are more important than the Rebbe. Who the children are with has a bigger influence and impact than even who the Rebbe is. Yaakov was trying to get out when he passed the base metric. Anyway, Rivka is uh, troubled why she feels these competing kicks and then she's, uh, she's somehow appeased because when she's told the message not to worry, it's twins. And the Kliyakar has a great interpretation there. Kliyakar says, what is she appeased by? She feels kicking outside the house of idolatry. She feels kicking outside the base medrash. She's told, don't worry. You have twins? Oh, I have twins? Okay, good. I'm good to go. Off to Starbucks. Why is she happy knowing she's going to have twins? Why does that satisfy her? Says the Kliyaka, her worst fear was that she had one child with multiple personalities. A child who was not committed. A child who was not focused. She had a child who could blow at the wind. Multiple personality disorder. A child who was who, who, who duplicitous to know Shnei Goyim. Of course, she was not happy to hear that one of her children would be an Esav who worshipped idols. But at least to know that your child is committed to their beliefs, then you could turn them to the right beliefs. It's better to have a child who's passionate in belief, who you can channel and turn and transform to the right beliefs, than a child who holds multiple beliefs, who's not committed to any beliefs, who just blows with the wind. So that's the Kliyakar says, Rivka is satisfied to know that she doesn't carry one child who has multiple personalities. And of course... I don't want to... This is all the overview. She gives birth to Yaakov and Esau. Each of them have their distinct personalities. Yaakov's birth is described... He's described... Esau, I'm sorry. He's described as a, a ruddish complexion. Entirely red. Hairy. Who else is described with almost the exact same word, says Rav Tzadok HaKohen of Lublin? David HaMelech. King David is described almost the exact same words. Admoni. That word Admoni. Because both Esau and David HaMelech have... Passion, charisma, potential for greatness. David HaMelech realizes his and expresses it through the result of a book of Tehillim, a great warrior of the Jewish people, a king, a leader. Esav says the Nitziv critically of Yitzchak and Rivka because they raised Yaakov and Esav the same way, in the same mold, and they didn't, they didn't mold Esav's upbringing to him. He clearly, Esav, you know, perhaps today would have been labeled AD, ADD. Right, Esav perhaps would have been labeled uh, somebody who has attention deficit. He was he had no zitzfleisch. He was he was out in the field. He was a mover shaker. He couldn't sit still. So David Melech that expressed itself in being a warrior, in the passion of poetry, in being a king. Esav they tried to force into being an Ishtam Yoshev Olam to sit in the base medrash. That didn't work. Instead, he rebelled and he became a Esav. Says Rafersh and then Etziv and. And others. So they grow up, their distinct personalities now express themselves. Rivka falls in love with, with uh, Yaakov, and uh, Yitzchak falls in love with, favors Esav. Yaakov, of course, purchases the birthright from Esav when he returns hungry after their grandfather Avram's funeral. A famine forces Yitzchak to flee. He goes to, uh, down to the Plishtim. And it's fascinating. Again, Yitzchak is the embodiment. We find almost nothing about Yitzchak. There's so little in the narrative about Yitzchak. So few words about Yitzchak actually saying anything. Yitzchak is the ultimate role player. Yitzchak passes the baton. Yitzchak is the model test. He teaches us the lesson of the person who doesn't need the limelight and the fair, fanfare and the pomp and the circumstance. He is the ambassador who passes the baton from an Avram to a Yaakov and 
being a link in the chain of our Masorah, of our tradition, is also to play a critical role. And that's Yitzchak. And that's Yitzchak. So Masa Avos Simulavanim Yitzchak follows exactly his father. He redigs the same wells after they're filled in. Here, there's a famine, and he goes down, and he has this similar episode, and and so on. Yitzchak said in Grer, in Grar, there's this dispute over the wells. Kadosh Baruch Hu reassures the Rebbeinu Shalom, reassures Yitzchak. He's chosen, and he's the 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 progeny of Avraham. Avi Melech reaffirms the treaty. Esav marries. Who does Esav marry? Yehudas bas be'eri hachiti, and basmas bas elon hachiti, and it's moras ruach li Yitzchak ulu Rivka. It's a disappointment. It's a source of rebellion to Yitzchak and to Rivka. Not enough to Yitzchak apparently to reject Esav. Yitzchak didn't sit shiva when Esav married out of the faith, so to say, but it's a source of bitter disappointment. And uh, Yitzchak decides it's time to bless to bless Esav. Very interesting. Vayihiki zakein Yitzchak. It was when Yitzchak was older. He couldn't see any longer, which tradition teaches the, the tears fell into his eyes during the Akedah. For whatever reason, he went blind. Maybe it was cataract, macular degeneration, who knows. And uh, Yitzchak can't see any longer. And he decides it's time to give the blessing. And of course, Rivka has her scheme for Yaakov to receive the blessing instead of Esav. Yaakov comes. Yitzchak is suspicious, but ultimately believes it is Esav and gives the bracha. Esav then comes. Yitzchak realizes what has happened and he trembles a great fear and uh, gives whatever blessing is left to Esav. Yaakov realizes it's time to book out and he runs to his uncle's home. Esav then marries again the daughter of Okay, so that is an overview of our Parsha. Obviously, so much to say on so many different components of the Parsha, but let's begin our, where I believe we left off last year. I don't know if anyone else has marked off. I have a lot. I have us in Perak of Zion, chapter 27, Pasuk Yud Aleph, verse 11. Does that look good to you, Sarah? Well, I wasn't here for so yeah, I don't know. Okay, so if not, we'll pretend that's where we left off last year, but I'm pretty sure it isn't. Yeah. Okay, Perak of Zion, Pasuk Yudalf, it's in the Art Scroll on page 134. And where we find ourselves is, where we find ourselves is, right at the part of the narrative where uh, Yitzchak is on in years, and he feels vulnerable, he feels his mortality, and he wants to give a bracha to his children, and he calls Esav and summons him and tells him to go make food. Why, by the way, should Esav go make food? You can't give a bracha unless you're on a full stomach. You can't give a bracha on an empty stomach. So the Mephoshim explained that Yitzchak really, he wanted to give the bracha to Esav. He still believed in Esav. Why did Yitzchak favor Esav, by the way? Why did he believe in Esav? So the commentators explain, Esav excelled in one particular mitzvah, in one character trait or attribute. Kibbutah ve'em. Esav was an embodiment. He was an archetype of what it means to honor one's parents. He was an incredible, an incredible honor, particularly for Yitzchak. And Yitzchak saw in that, that, uh, that Esav had an unbelievable potential. Yitzchak saw in that, that Esav might be able to harness that ability to honor his father as honoring all that his father represents and where he came from. And he saw that potential. And yes, Esav was filled with energy and was filled with unbridled passion and was a man of the field. But perhaps, perhaps Esav, uh, Yitzchak believed Esav could be the perfect complement for Yaakov. Yaakov is the Ishtam Yoshev Olam. He's the academic, he's the scholar, he's distant He's preoccupied. 
And frankly, the Yitzchak personality probably did not excel at Kibbara Ve'em. The aloof academic is not as warm and endearing and responsive to the parent. They give nachas maybe in a different way. Every time they're published in a journal, every time they publish a new book, every time someone says, I heard a lecture by your son, the professor at Harvard, they give a certain type of nachas. But call every day, fetch the slippers, tuck them into bed, take care of, make the favorite soup for the father. That not necessarily. So perhaps Yitzchak was not as attracted to, to Yaakov, who was the aloof, distant academic, was drawn more to Esav, and saw Esav as being a perfect complement. The two will be able to, in combination, in partnership, be able to inherit the legacy that Yitzchak was to transfer from Avraham, to build a nation. Yaakov would contribute the scholarship to that nation, Esav would take care of everything else. Esav would make sure that nation was fed. Esav would make sure that nation was protected and had security. Esav would make sure that that nation had the mail delivered and the fields were planted and harvested. And Yaakov and his progeny would fill the study halls, would publish, (coughs) would transmit the Torah. So Yitzchak is drawn to an Esav. So what does Yitzchak want to do right before he can give the blessing to Esav? Say the Alshech and others? Yitzchak. But why does Yitzchak want to eat? When he sends Esav to the field, what is he giving Esav an opportunity to do? Do a mitzvah, Esav. It's as if Yitzchak is reminding himself why he loves Esav. Esav, before I'm going to give you the bracha, do a little something for me. Go out to the field. And it's not a little something. It's a big something. What does he say? Havil Yitzayid. I'm sorry. What does he say? Pasuk. No, beforehand even. Bring me my favorite foods. Go do kibbutz avayim. Now, furthermore, the truth is, the Gemara says that nevuah prophecy is only shora. Uh, it's only bestowed mitoch simcha. Person has to feel happy, joyful. A sad, sorrowful, depressed person cannot be a utensil or an instrument of prophecy. You can't receive prophecy, you can't be an instrument of prophecy when you're, when you're down and downtrodden and gloom and doom and, and depressed. You've got to be joyful and happy and cheerful. So how do you get cheerful? Particularly if you're Jewish. A kiddush. A food. You eat a little bit. So Yitzchik says, let me eat a little bit. Now in all seriousness, when the body is satisfied, you're cheerful. When you're starving, you're agitated. When you're hungry, you're, you're easily agitated and aggravated and it's hard to concentrate and to focus and Yitzchak wants no distractions. So the combination of these two things, he tells Esav, go make me, go bring me my favorite, go bring me my favorite foods. But what precipitates? Why right now? Why right now? Yitzchak is older, he's, he feels his mortality, his vulnerability, and he's ready to give this bracha. So I want to share with you Rav Hirsch. The last few weeks we've been sharing a lot of refreshes. Refresh on Chumash is just fantastic. It's just fantastic. And Refresh is bothered, by the way, what everyone is bothered by when they read Parshas Toldos, and not just Toldos, but beyond. Yaakov is characterized. What is Yaakov's principal character trait? If Avram is associated, if I say one word, you'll say Chesed. So Yitzchak, you'll say Gvura. Yaakov, what word will you say? It's Tiferes, but you'll say Emes. In fact, that's the Pasuk and the Navi. Emes Liakov. Yaakov is characterized by truth. Except when you read about Yaakov. <laughs> then you find very little 
fidelity to the truth. Yaakov steals essentially the birthright. Yaakov lies to his father, of course, coordinated by Rivka. Yaakov, when he says goodbye to Esav, says, we'll meet up soon. He has no intent of meeting him soon. Yaakov, when he's in his father-in-law's house, and the whole speckled sheep fiasco seems to distort the truth and lie. Yaakov, when he says to his wife, let's book out of here, it's time to go, and the father-in-law approaches, lies. Yaakov's whole life is riddled with lies. Emesle Yaakov. Yaakov is known as the man of truth. Where's the truth? And Rivka... Rivka, the great prophetess, is the one who coordinates this, the great lie? How could it be? By the way, the, the Medrash itself is bothered. The Medrash itself says that Yaakov is paid back for his life of lies by having a great lie perpetrated against him. What was the great lie perpetrated against him? The most famous switcheroo ever, Rachel and Leah. He thinks he's marrying Rachel. I mean, without being graphic, he gets into bed with Rachel and he wakes up with Leah. The signs were, were given. The secret code, because he was afraid. This great switcheroo. And he's lied to about Yosef and Dina and Shechem. His sons lie in order to be able to slaughter the people of Shechem. Right? The bris and the third day, they go and they kill them. Yaakov's entire life is his lying and his being the victim of lies. And yet, MS Yaakov. Yaakov is the man of truth. Yaakov is the man who has a unequivocal... Uh, Commitment to truth, except that he doesn't. So this is the question that bothers everybody. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. It's obviously worth a couple hours here and many different approaches to it. Rav Dessler has an essay on. There's a lot of different approaches to this question. So here, Rav Hirsch has a long essay on this. Or I shouldn't say an essay; he has a long comment on exactly this question. How could it be? How could Rivka have have orchestrated this great lie, coordinated this great lie? What's going on? So listen to what he writes though. Says Rav Hirsch. In the little word na. Right? Just go back for a moment. We're not starting there. But. zakanti. When Yitzchak says, Here I am, I'm old. Pasuk Beis. He summons Esau and he says, Here, behold, I'm old. I don't know the day I'm going to die. Says Rav Hirsch, it is made clear that he had already long had the intention to bestow such a blessing, but had been dissuaded, had yielded to remonstration. Rebecca, Rivka had probably constantly argued with him, trying to convince him of the truth, and had then persuaded him, anyway, leave it for a time that you're not so old yet. There's still plenty of time. And had hoped in the meantime that he would be, un- that he would be undeceived. But she had not succeeded. So what happens? There says Rav Hirsch, he describes as only he can, that Yitzchak and Rivka, every bed, every night, the pillow talk is a fight, is a debate. Yitzchak says, you're wrong about Esav. He's sincere, he's genuine, he's authentic. He's so good to me, he loves me. He's a good heart, he's a good man. Rivka says, I'm telling you, our son is up to no good. Esav is, is, is with the wrong women and he's pursuing women and he's taking things that aren't his and he's on all kinds of substances and he's off the derech. And Yitzchak says, you're wrong. I know him. He's my boy. He's good. Yaakov is the one who's aloof and distant and I don't know who he is and what he's thinking. And Rivka says, no, Yaakov. Yaakov is our little Yaakov. And every night there's this debate between Yitzchak and Rivka. And long ago says, refers from the word, no, I am already old. After all, 
that Yitzchak was waiting for that day. He's been waiting to give the bracha to Esav and Rivka every night says, don't give a bracha yet. You're not so old. You're not going anywhere. There's plenty of time. She's trying to buy time, says Rav Hirsch, till she can convince Yitzchak that he's being fooled. Continues Rav Hirsch. I'm reading Rav Hirsch. What could she have wanted with this plan? Nothing but to bring him home to him, to convince him, ad hominem, that how easily he could be deceived. If a Jacob in Ishtam can so easily masquerade as a Gibor Tzayed, how much more easily can an Esav masquerade as an Ishtam to him? And in this, Yitzchak's undeception through Yaakov's deception, Rivka succeeded perfectly. Why did she orchestrate all this? What was the justification? She was trying to prove to Yitzchak, if Yaakov can fool you, then clearly Esav could be fooling you all along. You may or may not be satisfied by Rav Hirsch's opinion, his defense of Rivka's behavior. As I said, Rav, Rav Dessler has a whole new interpretation of how do you define truth? Is truth absolute? Is truth relative? And that's the more famous approach. There's an inner truth, there's an outer truth, there's a true truth and a superficial truth. That's Rav Dessler's approach. But Rav Hirsch says, this was orchestrated by Rivka intentionally by design. Because for years, she's arguing with Yitzchak, Esau's fooling you, he's lying to you, he's deceiving you, he's gotcha. And Yitzchak says, what are you talking about? Not me. Nobody's pulling the wool over my eyes. I know my sons. Nobody could fool me. I know Esau and he's a good guy. So what does Rivka do? She dresses up Yaakov to look like Esau. And who's fooled? Yitzchak. So that she can finally say to him, Yitzchak, Yitzchak dear, if Yaakov, that aloof, distant, pale, weak, yeshiva bachar, who you've dismissed, if he's capable of fooling and tricking you, then your charismatic Esav can easily have been fooling you all along. Says Refresh continuing, as soon as Yitzchak realized the trick that had been played upon him, he received a terrific shock. He saw, as our sages put it, Gehenim yawning at his feet. He saw how all his life he had allowed himself to be deceived. Immediately the scales fell from his eyes. And he immediately added deliberately his confirmatory and now fully consciously expressed blessing, Gam Baruch and indeed he shall be blessed. So there's, a, there's an incredible, I find Rav Hirsch's interpretation incredible, that from the word Nah he deduces, Yitzchak had been waiting, wanted to give this bracha, Rivka had prevented him, had delayed, had, had pushed him off, don't do it, you have plenty of time, you're not yet old, you're not going anywhere buying time to try to open Yitzchak's eyes but she couldn't do it and the only way she could do it was this trickaroo was this deceptive lie staging this deception so that Yitzchak indeed it's also a beautiful interpretation why the what do you mean Pischa shel Gehenim he saw Gehenim at his feet what was so overwhelming what was so traumatic because if you live your life believing one thing about your child and you learn that your life has been a lie it is earth shattering it is trauma beyond belief and indeed says Rav Hirsch, that's what's been going on here and Rav Hirsch has obviously a lot more a lot more but we don't have time to read the rest of Hirsch so let's get to Arma Farshu there's a lot more here okay so Pasukid Yaakov says to his mother again she pulls him out of the base medrash close the Gemara my uncle it's time for you to go. Your father's about to give a bracha 
the whole future destiny of the Jewish people is going to be distorted, it's going to be perverted. Come here, my little Yaakovla, my little Yankel. <coughs> so Yaakov looks up at his mother and he says, Ace of my brother is a hairy man, and I'm smooth. My father may touch me. What's going to happen? My father may ask me to draw close. He's going to feel me. And then I'll be exposed as a lie. And therefore he'll give me a curse instead of a blessing. Instead of a blessing. So, so Yaakov demurs, he hesitates. He tells his mother, I'm, I'm not into this plan. I'm, I don't like where this is going. What does it mean that he's afraid of a curse instead of a blessing? So if you look at the Rashbam, I'm oh sorry, we're not up to that passage yet. Rivka's response. Ulai Mushani Avi says the Ramban, Ramban Nachmanis, Yaakov is not worried that Yitzchak may touch him in order to recognize him. Maybe he's going to draw me close because what does an affectionate father do? He kisses a child, gives him a little kiss on his kepi, holds his hand, strokes his cheek. He says, if, if, if my father does anything like that to me, he's about to give me this bracha. He's reached this old age. <coughs> he's very nostalgic. He's emotional. If he wants to touch me affectionately, he's going to feel that I'm smooth. Vani Thomas says the Ramban. Why is Yaakov afraid of how his skin will feel? Why wasn't he worried that he's going to be exposed by his voice? We recognize people by their voice. How is a blind man allowed to be intimate with his wife? He can't see this woman. What if he's about to sleep with a married woman? He's going to violate a horrible prohibition of the Torah. What is the license of a blind man to be intimate with his wife? You never thought of that question before, have you? And furthermore, why is a man allowed to be intimate at night with his wife? If it's dark, if it's pitch black, if there was a hurricane and the lights are out, for 10 days. Ella betfias eina dekala. Says the Gemara, get you to how? When she speaks, he recognizes her voice. And through the recognition of her voice, he's therefore given license to be intimate. So you see that voice is a source of recognition. If an ordinary person can under, can identify someone with their voice, Yitzchak, who is discerning, who is wise, <coughs> won't Yitzchak be able to identify his sons through their voice? So answers the Ramban, he comes to the conclusion, maybe Yaakov and Esav sounded alike. Yaakov wasn't worried about his voice because he knew he sounded like his brother. The Medrash says in Breach's Rabbah, So the Ramban concludes one of two possibilities. Excuse me. Either, either their voices were alike, so he wasn't worried, or Yaakov had the skill of disguising his voice. Yaakov could, uh, could, um, What's it called? Impersonate. He could impersonate his brother. 
can mimic his, mimic his brother. So says the Ramban, that's what's going on. So Yaakov turns to his mother and he says, I'm not happy with this plan. If I go get this bracha and my father touches my cheek, it's over. And what do I mean it's over? My father's not going to kill me, but he's going to give me a klala of a lo bracha. He's going to give me a curse instead of a blessing. That's a risk I'm not, I don't want to take. So what does Rivka say? Don't worry. The curse is on me. Just listen to my voice. And go. Go get these things. So what does she mean? Your curse is on me. Our curse is transferable. How did this work? What was Rivka suggesting to Yaakov, her son, don't worry about it. So says the Orachayim HaKadosh. Tam Omra Bini, why does she call, another question that should jump out if you have the Pasuk, right? Alai Kilalascha Bini, upon me is your curse, my son. Who else was she talking to? Yaakov needs to be told, my son? Yaakov knows that he's her son. So what do you mean Bini? Isn't that word totally extraneous? What was Rivka suggesting? with the word B'ni. So it says the Orachayim HaKadosh, Tam Omra B'ni Achar She'ima Haisa Medaberes She's talking to him. He knows that that she's referring to him. Perish Masha'ot Seisa Ata Bipicha Ata V'shir Ateva Klala She'kilulaz B'ni V'wal Derech Omram Kilulaz Chacham Afilu Atenai V'lezeh Chasha Ulav Shahi Garam klala shots me piv, the Lohaisa Omeris Bini, Hayanishma klala, she kalalu aviv. She was worried not about Yitzchak's curse, that Yitzchak was going to curse Yaakov. That was she was confident would work out. But she was worried that Yaakov had expressed the word klala. Right? Kilalas chacham afilu al tenai. She was worried that Yaakov is a tzaddik. And when a tzaddik, even unknowingly or unintentionally, says words that could create a curse, it could have that effect. So in order to offset or in order to reverse what could be the impact of Yaakov just using the word klala, she says klala bini. She therefore reverses it. And the Yorchayim says, now is as good a place as any to try to explain why is Rivka particularly loving and affectionate to Yaakov. What's going on here? So anyone will see, you know, it's devastating, often a, a mass murderer, uh, a terrible uh, a person who perpetrates a horrible crime is arrested, somebody goes postal, someone who does something terrible, and who do they interview? The parents. How are the parents going to react? So some say, it's not my son, I maintain his innocence, this is a lie, right? cognitive dissonance, they just can't believe it, so they, they pretend it couldn't have happened. But others will say, I, I didn't know that this was my son, I want nothing to do with him now, I, I, I don't know what happened, he snapped, this can't be my offspring. So imagine how Rivka felt that she was the mother of Esav. Imagine how she felt, says the Orachayim. Ki kol eleha yatziru, ki mimena yatsarasha hu Esav. The eyes of everyone are upon her that from her emanated this wicked person, Esav. 
So, offspring don't come from nowhere. If a person, right, or put differently, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So if the apple is rotten, then people deduce, says the Yorachayim, usually accurately, that the tree is rotten. So Rivka is very self-conscious that people are going to see Esav and think that this reflects or reveals her core. So how is she going to offset that? By favoring Yaakov, by favoring Yaakov, and the Torah always associating whenever she speaks of Yaakov, my son, it's Rivka's conscious or self-conscious way of saying, you want to know who's the true me? Which of that which has emanated from my loins is the true me? It's Yaakov, not Esav. Yes, Esav emerged from me, but I don't know what went wrong. And I can't be responsible. He's an independent, autonomous human being. But you want to know who's the real me? Chelek Mechalkov? Who is the real, reveals the, the, my DNA? That's Bini, that's my son, Yaakov. So by favoring Yaakov, she was trying to prove to the world and maybe a little bit to herself that Yaakov, she is associated and identifies more with Yaakov and not chas v'shalom with Esav. Okay, so that's the Orachim's interpretation. Why does she always say Bini? And why did she feel a need to say Bini here? Because she was trying to offset the klala that Yaakov might have inadvertently created. The Rashbam, Shmuel ben Meir, Rash's grandson, says, Alai kilalascha, Alai v'yal tzavarai, on me and on my, on my neck, Klomar, Al tira, don't be afraid. Kiaisa botachas b'masha amala kashborchu v'rav yavod sayir. You see, remember, she thought, she remembered back when she was pregnant all those years ago and she felt the kicking and she went to consult the prophet and the prophet said, don't worry, you've got twins. And Rav Yavod Sa'ir, the older one, is going to serve the younger one. So she knew who would be greater? The younger one. And whatever was necessary to orchestrate that reality, that was her mission, because after all, that's what the Prophet told her. So in orchestrating this, she wasn't fearful. I'll take that curse. You know why I'm willing to take that curse? Because I know with 100% confidence there won't be a curse. Because this is what God wants. Because this is the promise that He made. The older one will serve the younger one. <coughs> okay, continuing. Pasuk Yudalit. Yudalit, 14. Yes, Rabbi Fox. Paul raised a very good question. By the voice. Yeah. By the voice, it should be readily recognized that it was Yaakov, the man of speaking. It's the answer by saying perhaps the voice of Yaakov is uh-huh. Right. 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 So we'll get to that. Yeah, but Yaakov's Asa would never say Right, right. So that itself 
Yeah. Right. Right. He almost he couldn't help it. Yeah, we'll get to that. I think it's very interesting. I don't think we can ignore the fact that Rivka concludes her argument. First of all, I'll absorb your curse. Ah, just one thing. Here's what I need you to do. Shma, listen. Bekoli. So this whole episode about the kol, kol Yaakov, and she says, listen to my kol. It can't be a coincidence for use of the word bikoli here. Just one other interpretation, I think it's fascinating, Ibn Ezra. Right, so the Orachayim talked about Alai Kilalascha, that she says, I'll take your curse, because she had to reverse the fact that Yaakov used the word curse. The Rashbam said, she was not worried about a curse at all, because God had promised her the elder one will serve the younger one. The Ibn Ezra is a third interpretation. Alai Kilalascha, Al Tefachet Sheyikalel. Don't, don't be so worried he's going to curse you. Vim yekalel, and if your father curses you, it'll be on me. mishpat This is the way a mother acts, says the Ibn Ezra. It's the way of a woman. She's not worried. She says to her son, I'll take that risk to protect you. I'll absorb your pain. Transfer your illness, transfer your pain, transfer your suffering. I will gladly absorb the pain of my child. Zu derech, zu mishpat divrei anoshim. Okay, so that's the Ibn Ezra's interpretation. Yaakov, by the way, is convinced. Because what does he do? He goes... He goes and he takes these things and he brings them to his mother. Rivka whips up the, the dishes that Yitzchak loves. She takes Esau's clothing that she has in her house, ostensibly because of course she was still doing her son's laundry, and, <laughs> and she dresses Yaakov in it. Once again, notice, how does the Pasuk identify Yaakov? She dresses Yaakov, Bina HaKatan. What do you mean, HaKatan? By now I don't know that Yaakov is Rivka's son, and I don't know he's the Katan, he's the younger son. So, first of all, again, you see that Rivka, text is always identifying, this is the real Rivka. You want to know Rivka? It's Bina Yaakov. Because Esav is also her son. It doesn't say Vatikach Rivka is big day Esav. Well, it says Bina HaGadol. Her big son versus Bina HaKatan. Which is the real son? <coughs> yeah, or here also it says Big Day Esav Bina HaGadol. But Gadol and Katan doesn't it means in age, not of course in, in greatness. In fact, if you look at the Ramban, Esav Bina HaGadol, Yaakov Bina HaKatan, says the Ramban, Lahaftlig Bi'inyan HaTzidkus. Why does she identify Esav B'nah Gadol to Yaakov B'nah Katan? Says the Ramban, it's the opposite of the way of the world. The way of the world is that a parent favors their eldest child. Why? The oldest child... The, uh, there's a beautiful Mesha Chachma in Parshas Tazria that describes that. When it talks about Isha Ki when it talks about a woman conceives and she gives birth, so there's a beautiful Mesha Chachma who says, a parent owes something to that child that the parent can never repay. Usually a child owes everything to a parent. But when it comes to the first child, the parent owes something to the pa- child that the, pa- child can, the parent can never repay. And what is it? The oldest child made them a parent. All the rest of them, ah. No. <laughs> oh, God forbid. God forbid. 
But the oldest child made made them a parent. Made, made them into a parent. That oldest child gave them the status of parents. That's a gift that that oldest child gave. So the way of the world is to favor that oldest child. Well, again, we don't have time to develop this right now, but it's the concept of a bachor. You could speak for an hour why the bachor has distinction. Not only, by the way, that the Jewish people are obligated, the bachor gets pishnayim, the oldest son inherits a double portion. The bachor has certain rights and certain obligations. The bachor of animals. But the Jewish people are called b'ni b'chori Yisrael. The Jewish people are called God's bachor. What does it mean we're God's bachor? Are we God's only children? Banimatem, Hashem Elokeichem. God has other children, but we're the eldest child. But we're not the oldest child. There existed humanity before there was a Jewish people. What does it mean to be a bachor? But if I have to put it in, in 10 seconds, the idea of a bachor is that parents often see within the eldest child the responsibility to take their place. That eldest child is, is given the mandate to stand in their, in their place when they're gone. The baton is passed to them. They take on a, a, a role of being a matriarch or a patriarch, even while the parents are alive. So says the Ramban, it's the oldest child. The way of the world is for the parents to honor uh, or to have greater affection for the oldest child and to give a bracha to them, and to give honor to them. Except here, Rivka is working her hardest to reverse it, to take all of that away from the oldest child, Esav, and to give the Bechor status not the status that Yaakov had previously purchased, but to give the role of, of the Bechor to Yaakov. Right? Tishtadel Bechol HaTorah She's working through all this effort. Lahavir Abracha V'Akavod To transfer the blessing and the honor Min Agadol from the oldest child El Akatan. V'chiyom HaLamata V'Egad Rivka Yazdivri Esav B'na Agadol V'Tishlach V'Tikral Yaakov B'na Akatan. That's why the Pasuk will say again later in Pasuk Membez. For Rivka, you keep having this reference of Esav is her older son, Yaakov is her younger son, because <coughs> the text is telling us Rivka is going against the natural tendency and trying to transfer this status. Tezayim. Ve'is oroz gedayeha izim l'bisha ayadav v'yachelkas tavarav. So Rivka continues to dress Yaakov with the animal skin, on his hands and his neck. She places the delicacies and the bread that she had prepared in the hands of Yaakov. Again, Yaakov. Her son. Bina, her son. He comes to his father and he says, Avi. Yitzchuk says, Yeah. Who is this, my son? Knowing it's a son. He has two, two options. He doesn't say, who is this? I don't know who you are. Maybe this supports the Ramban. Right? Because the Ramban said, maybe their voices were alike. So here is a voice, and he knows it's his son, Bini, but he doesn't know which. Which tells you that the two sounded alike. Yaakov says to his father, I am Esav, your eldest. I have done as he told me to. Come sit, eat the good food so that you can give a blessing to Varachuni Nafshecha. Your soul can bless me. Now, again, we don't have time to develop philosophically, as we saw of Hirsch and the Rav Desla's approach. How is Yaakov distorting the truth here? But our Mephorshim do everything in their power. 
They do everything in their creative license to try to defend Yaakov that he wasn't laying. So Rashi most famously says that when Yaakov responds to Yitzchak, he says, Anochi, it's me. Hamevi Lecha, who's bringing you this food. And Esav is your eldest. He wasn't lying. You read the Pasuk punctuated this way. Not Anochi Esav Becharecha, I am Esav your eldest. Anochi, it's me, Dad. Pause. Esav Becharecha. Esav is your eldest <coughs> son. The uh, Ibn Ezra suggests alternatively, Misha Anochi ve Esav Misha Anochi. It's me. He quietly said, Anochi, it's me. And out loud he said, Esav is your eldest. So that all Yitzchak would hear is, Esav is your eldest. Esav, your eldest. So he was distinguishing in this, the way you punctuate He's trying to defend what what Yaakov did here. That Yaakov wasn't lying. If you punctuate it creatively, you can suggest an alternative. The Rachaim gives a third suggestion. He's not lying. When he said Esav Becharecha, Esav your eldest son, I'm playing that role because I bought that right. I bought the right to be Esav Becharecha. So, says the Orachayim Yaakov wasn't lying at all. He says, I am Ace of your eldest son, I've done everything you asked. Meaning, I am playing the role of Ace of your oldest son, I've done everything you asked of your oldest son, which I am playing the role of because I bought that right. So, three ways to creatively approach the Pasuk to try to defend Yaakov that he's not lying even though he's lying. Rashi, that you punctuate Anochi, Kama, pregnant pause. It's me. Esav is your eldest. The Ibn Ezra. Anochi, quietly. Anochi, it's me. Esav Becharecha. Esav, your eldest son. Right? Anochi, I, quietly. And Esav Becharecha, aloud. And thirdly, the Orachayim. No, he said it all out loud. And you don't need to add a comma. And there was nothing wrong with saying it because that indeed was his right. That indeed was his right. <coughs> what you see here, and perhaps is what Rabbi Fox was suggesting earlier, is that even within this orchestrated lie which Yaakov needed to do, he remained allergic to lying. He still, it was so uncomfortable for him to not tell the truth that even though there was no one there to appreciate that he was repunctuating or he was whispering. He just couldn't bring himself to say an outright lie because it wasn't in his DNA. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <coughs> you have to get creative. You have to get creative with that also. So what happens? What happens? Yitzchak turns to his son and he said, Whoa, how did this happen so fast? I just sent you. How did you come back so quickly? God caused it. God caused it to happen. God arranged it for me. By the way, this word, that should sound familiar from last week. Remember what Eliezer said? 
Eliezer turns to God and he says, Hakreina lefanai hayom. Vasei chesed im Adoni Avraham. Hakrei, remember we spent time last week on Hakrei is not, Rafush last week said, Hakrei is not mikra, chance, randomness, happenstance. It means the same word, kufresh hey, which sounds like chance, is kufresh aleph. It's God calling out. It's a message from God. <coughs> Hakrei, same word. So here, Mazamiyatalam Sobani, ki Hashem lokecha. How, how has Hashem called out? How did this happen so fast? This chance, randomness, how quickly, how expedited you came across this animal. What's going on here? What's going on here? So what does Yaakov respond? I'm sorry, I'm sorry Yaakov's response was, Hikra can mean, I chanced upon this animal that happened so quickly. Or, the way Refresh encourages Hikra, it was orchestrated. It was a message from above for me to be able to, to bring you this animal so quickly. But either way, to whom does Yaakov, in the guise of Esav, attribute this to? Hashem Lakacha, Hashem your God. That's fishy. That's suspicious. Come closer. I want to feel you. Are you really my son Esav or not? What threw him off? Why did Yitzchak all of a sudden become suspicious? Because he spoke of remember, by the way, remember that Yaakov says, my father's, according to Ramban, my father's not going to draw me close to feel me. That's not going to happen. I'm worried he's going to draw me close to give me a kiss. To give me a little kiss on my kepi. Then he's going to feel me. But what happens? Exactly what Yaakov said wouldn't happen. I want to feel you. Is this my son Esav? Well, what, what threw him off? Says Rashi. Omar Yitzchak believed, Yitzchak said, One second here. My Esav never says, Baruch Hashem, Mirz Hashem, Be'ezrus Hashem. That's not my Esav. What in the world is going on here? Says the Ramban. Look at the Ramban. Omar Belibo, he quotes Rashi. Vani Thomas says Ramban, I'm bothered. Kiloya Esav, Rasha Be'ne Aviv. What I'm saying? But, but all along, Yitzchak believes in Esav. So why would Yitzchak be suspicious of Esav that Esav doesn't quote God if Yitzchak believes in Esav? Yitzchak doesn't see Esav as a Russia. So why, why did this throw him off? So, no. It's not that <coughs> Yitzhak might have thought, why does Esav never quote God's name? Because he's got blood dripping on his hands, he's just coming from the field, and he's a hunter, he's unclean, he's not wearing his yarmulke because he was hunting. So Yitzhak justified, why does Esav never mention God's name? Okay, it's not because he doesn't have Yerashemayim, it's because he does have Yerashemayim. And his Yerashemayim compels him not to say God's name when his hands are dirty. So, it threw him off when Esav used God's name. Not because he thought Esav is a Russia and this guy in front of me sounds like a tzaddik, but he thought Esav is a tzaddik who never uses God's name when he's just come from hunting. Why is he using God's name now? Right. So the classic interpretation is, Rashi's interpretation is, Yitzchak says to himself, one second, my Esav never talks about God. What's going on here? Ramban says, no. He thinks my Esav is such a tzaddik that he never says God's name 
when he's just come from hunting, what's going on here that he would violate his own Yerushamayim to say God's name when he's just come from hunting? Okay? Again, two different ways to interpret. Rashi Ramban. Yeah. Interesting. Elokecha. Not Elokeinu. Our God caused me to happen upon the animal. That is interesting. I need something. Chicken soup. Vaigash Yaakov Yitzchak Aviv Vayimusheihu So Yaakov draws close to Yitzchak. He feels him. Vayomer And Yitzchak now says those words which ring in our ears until today. Hakol kol Yaakov Vayadai midei Esav Says Rashi Kol kol Yaakov Shemedaber Baloshon Tachanunim Kumna How does he know it's the voice of Yaakov because he uses words of supplication when he said Kumna Aval Esav Baloshon Katnura Diber Yakumavi So the word Na please it's not Esav's not a courteous person Esav doesn't talk in that way so the voice doesn't just mean the way the voice sounds Rashi interprets here again like the Ramban that Yaakov's voice didn't throw him off it was is what he said threw him off says the Rashbam Rashi's grandson because they were twins their voices were similar that's why Yitzchak was confused by the voice but it was only after he felt the hairy neck that he said so let's look just to end we're out of time already I don't know where the time goes. The Kliyakar. The Pasuk would have made more sense to say the voice was that of Yaakov and the hands were that of Esav. What do you mean? Hakol kol Yaakov ayadayim yedei Esav. It should say Hakol shel Yaakov ayadayim shel Esav. How come none of you asked that question? Because if it would have said that answers the Kliyakar of Lunchitz, it would have meant that Yitzchak concluded definitively that the voice is Yaakov. And therefore this must be Yaakov. But one second, the hands tell me conclusively this is Esav. It's an impossibility. If it's Esav, it can't be Yaakov. If it's Yaakov, it can't be Esav. He says, no, no, one second. It sounds like Yaakov, but maybe the truth is it's Esav. It feels like Esav, but maybe the truth is it's the sound of Yaakov. And that's what the Pasuk means to communicate through the choice of these words. Hakol kol Yaakov, v'hayadayim yidei Esav. Umashinemar v'hayadayim bivav. Why did it say hakol kol Yaakov, v'hayadayim, or hayadayim, I'm sorry, hakol kol Yaakov, why the vav? It's either Hakoko Yaakov, ve, like oh, it's either the voice of Yaakov or the hands of Esav. Says Yitzchak, I'm confused, it can't be both. I don't know which, which it is. I don't know which it is. So let's just conclude, skip the next paragraph, go to the last paragraph in the Kliyakar. V'razal darshami pasuk zeh, our rabbis taught us, shekol zman sheyakov metzav tseif bekolo, ein yidei esav shuletispo. The Medrash teaches us what the pasuk is sending as a message until today. That hakol kol Yaakov, when the Jewish people's voice is the voice of Yaakov, when we speak the truth of Torah, and when we fight for justice, and when we sound like the the offspring, the progeny of Yaakov, 
Ain't yidei Esav shalotos bo. Then yidaim can't be yidei Esav. Then the hands of Esav don't rain against us. Afal pishab shuto mashmash yitzchak amar kain vayasavash is Esav. Vormayin zel abracha zubi kamakum kach pirusho kidas yitzchak kai lavarach is Esav abirachas avay gaber laachicha vaynu Yaakov sheyadei de Esav shalotos bo. Veitel tonight b'davar lomar davkem Yaakov lo yitzavtei pekolam but the knesses is b'drashos. Says the kliyakar this this observation of the medrash was built into the blessing that Yitzchak gave. When Yitzchak said, Hakol ko Yaakov, Esav, it wasn't an observation, it was part of the bracha. It was built into the fabric of the blessing. That Yitzchak was saying, when the kol is ko Yaakov, when Yaakov, when his offspring act like Yaakov, then Yedayim de Esav, then the hands of Esav cannot rule. Who are the hands of Esav? Who are the offspring of Esav? Rome, Western civilization, Christianity. They will not... Uh, oppress and persecute when it is the voice of when is the voice of Yaakov. One last thought, because I can't wait till next year to share it with you. But at the end, what happens when 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 he uh, he proves it's him? He gives the bracha. He draws Yaakov close and he gives him a, a kiss. Where are you, Rabbi Moskowitz? I'm sorry. He smells the smell of the clothing and he gives him a bracha. He says, This smells like the smell of the field that God has blessed. What do you mean? What smell of a field? What is he smelling? Animal skin. Does animal skin smell good? It smells putrid. It's horrible. It's malodorous. So what is he telling him that smells good? Says Rashi. It was the smell of Gan Eden that came with him. That's what Yitzchak smelled. Says Rav Shlomo Kalbach in his Sefer, Evan Shlomo, the new Sefer that came out, Rav Shlomo and Torah. Says Rav Shlomo, this is so beautiful. This is so great. He says, this comes from the Atzer of Rebbe, Eshdas. He says, before Yitzchak meets Rivka, it says, Vayetze Yitzchak Lasuach Basada. What was he davening for in that field? He was davening for a son like Yaakov. So when Yitzchak says, Reach, Re'e, Reach, Beni, Kereach, Hasadeh, the smell I smell is the same smell of the Sadeh, is the Sadeh that he had been in the field when he was davening to have a son like Yaakov. He says, as you've come close, I smell the smell that reminds me of exactly when I was davening for a son like you. When Yitzchak says, He's basically saying to Yaakov, I can't believe it. You're the son I was praying for in that field. I smell that field in you. Look here at the smell. See the smell. See the smell. Reminds you, says Reb Shlomo, of The Medrash tells us that our Sinai, they saw the sounds. There are senses that are so compelling and so convincing that don't make sense to see sounds. Here too, it doesn't make sense to see a smell. See, the smell is like the smell of the field. How do you see a smell? It says Shlomo. He was saying, See, my son, in you, I'm smelling that field. When I went to Davin in that field for a son like you, my tefillahs, my prayers have been answered. Have a great job.